Welcome to our series called Legendary, and I want to start us off this morning with something that maybe you've heard before, a scripture that maybe you've heard before, and it goes like this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to bring you a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. And some of you, maybe you recently graduated, that was on a card that you got with, you know, with hopes for your future. You go conquer the world. You're going to do great things. You got a hope and a future ahead of you. Or maybe you've gone through like a hard time, something troubling, and someone gave you those words to comfort you. And for good reason, because they are very comforting. But when we don't get the full picture of the scripture and where it originated from, we miss out on so much. Maybe you've seen that scripture like in the Hobby Lobby somewhere and you thought it was a good one because it is a good one. Or maybe you know that scripture. That scripture has has meant something to you and you've probably got it tattooed somewhere because it does have a lot of depth to it. But we miss out on the deeper meaning if we don't dive in just to see where it originated from. And Jeremiah wrote this. And when he wrote this, he was actually, um, people thought he was crazy. It was actually a radical statement when Jeremiah penned this. And right now, if you go to one of your Bible apps, I looked it up. It was like, it's the top four in some of the verses that we look up and we, and we memorize. And I just hope God and heaven and, and goodness to Jeremiah, Jeremiah knows that right now. Like, because when he, he wrote that, he was ridiculed. People thought he was crazy. They were like, you're, you're not even speaking the truth. And it was because of the situation that he was in, little did he know, like that was going to be in the top four in our day. So hopefully he knows that now. He's getting a little kickback from it. But what was going on in Israel history, is history at the time, it was pretty bleak, actually. Which is why they thought that Jeremiah was a little crazy for writing, it's not true, Jeremiah. People were telling him, that's not true. Because what was happening in Israel's history at the time is they had begun to lose their focus on God. They knew that Jehovah was their God. Jehovah had chosen them to bring the good news, the gospel, eventually to us and to the world around around them through them. They were God's chosen people. But yet they began to adopt the practices of the other cultures around them, meaning that they were entertaining all these other gods. And they began to appease these other gods. They began to sacrifice to these other gods, just thinking like, well, just in case, Like, let's just sacrifice to this God because maybe we will get whatever this God was offering. And instead of solely focusing on the God that that was going to provide for them and be their God and set them apart, they just began to do what everybody else around them was doing. And this eventually led them to being susceptible and vulnerable to being taken over. And that's exactly what happened. And so during this time, it was the rise of the Babylonian Empire. And I don't know, that was like, just give me like all the boring feels back in world history. And don't worry, we're not going to go back there. There's no test. But this is what was happening. This was the rise of the Babylonian Empire. And so they had their sights set on Israel. They had their sights set on the Jews. And what they wanted to do was to take it over. But it wasn't this immediate siege. It wasn't this immediate takeover. We're burning everything down. We've got, we're going to take over the land. It wasn't like that. What this was, was this slow process of taking people out of Israel and out of Judah. Basically, they had a strategy. And what they wanted to do was take the brightest and the best of the land, the people that were the leaders, the people that made that society run, the people that were in charge, the people that were like your craftsmen or your builders, the people that could do things in a community and make a community survive and be successful. They began to take them away. 
And scripture tells us this was not just like, a, hey, come check out our nice timeshare. We've got a great plan for you. Just load up the party bus and come check out Babylon. We have some great gardens, which at the time, it was like the seventh, one of the seventh wonders of the world. They had these great gardens. It wasn't that. It was not this luring away of like, come check us out. Come live here for a while. What scripture tells us is that they put rings through their noses and they bound their wrists and their arms and they drug them away by ropes. This was a slow takeover. They were not after land. Babylon was not looking for more real estate. What they were looking for were people. And they wanted to enslave Israel. They wanted to enslave God's chosen people. And that's exactly what happened. And this is where we find Daniel. And this is where Jeremiah's words seem a little bit out of context because to who they were written to. But they were written directly to Daniel and to the Jews that were with Daniel. Now, when they began to invade, they began to siege Israel. What they did is they just took the brightest and the best, like I said, but what was left was like the elderly and the disabled and those people that could not fend for themselves. And so this was the state that we see Israel in. And not only did they come to take them away, but they began to change their identity. Daniel's name was even changed. They did not call him by the name of Daniel. Their plan was to change their identity and make them forget where they even come from, came from. And this is the culture that Daniel was sitting in. And when we find him, he's serving under King Darius. And Daniel served throughout his life as he was taken away into Babylon. He actually served under four different kings. And the story that we're going to focus in on today is he's serving under King Darius. And what made Daniel stand out and was so different about Daniel is that, unlike his Jewish counterparts, he had remained devoted to God. He had remained obedient to God. When all of the other things around him, they were just taking on the practices of everything else, Daniel said, no, I'm just going to stay devoted to God, Jehovah God, my God. That is who I'm going to follow and be committed to. And he did that in Israel before he was led away, but he also practiced it in this, in this community, Babylon. He began to exhibit that. And because of his relationship with God, Daniel had incredible integrity. He had incredible character. And only that, God began to give him wisdom like no one else. And it, be, it was noticed with Daniel through every single king. As a matter of fact, I think this is very interesting. When other kings described Daniel, they would just say, he's the one that has the holy God living inside of him. Which I think is interesting because they didn't really know anything about God. The only information they had about God was what they were seeing through Daniel because they weren't getting it through the rest of the Jews. They were seeing it through Daniel and they knew that something different was about Something different was with Daniel's God, a holy God. And what holy means is just set apart, unlike an other. And that's what Daniel was living out in his life. He was exhibiting the spirit of God, our God. And so Daniel's integrity was so high and his character was so high, Daniel would be the one that you'd want on your group project. He would be the one that you would call. He was not going to let you down. He was your man. Daniel was the one you would put on your board. Your board of advisor, he was the one. Basically, Daniel was the man. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Daniel right over. He would be your first one. And so this is where we see Daniel being very respected by the king. And so King Darius, at this point in his life, the kingdom was growing, and he had to control it. He didn't want to lose control over it. So what he decided to do was appoint governors over each section, much like our states with our governors. 
And because Daniel was so highly respected and valued and his wisdom was, was so well known, that matter of fact, Daniel could solve problems that nobody else could. They would gather them all together and were, the king would have a dream. Like, what do you think? And nobody would know but Daniel. So Daniel was right there. And so Darius thought, if I'm going to appoint somebody over all of these people, I want it to be Daniel. And that's what he did. He was going to appoint Daniel over everybody else. Second in command, pretty much. He was going to be the one. And, of course, this did not sit well with the rest of them. This did not sit well. And you can imagine, they were probably a little bit jealous. Daniel was always winning. He was the one that always had the right answer. And they began to get a little jealous of Daniel, a little angry with Daniel, and especially when Daniel was going to be promoted to this high position. And so they gathered together and like, we got to get him out of here. we got to find something wrong. Surely we can just, like, bring this to the king and, and he's out. And so they began to look at all of Daniel's life, all of his career. Maybe he broke the law here. He slipped up there. He did something wrong there. He made somebody mad here. They could find nothing. And so they got together, and they were like, there's only one way we're going to get rid of Daniel. There's only one thing that we can do, and it's got to be something related to his God. And so this is what they did. They all got together, and they went to the king, and this is what happened. We're going to go through a little bit, a lot of scripture. But when you go to deceive somebody, you butter them up first, right? That's your first rule of thumb. And so this is what they did. They said, may King Darius live forever. I don't know if they really thought that, but that's where they started. May he live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree. That anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And so they convinced this king to establish this edict, this law, that if anybody did anything against him, that they would be thrown into the lion's den. And so this is what happened when Daniel found out about it. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And so they got back together and they said, we're going to do this for 30 days. Surely Daniel's going to slip up. We don't really know what Daniel's going to do. Maybe he's going to go back and forth trying to figure out, like, should I follow the king or should I follow my God? How long is it going to take him? Let's give him 30 days because surely we can get him in 30 days. And so they set it up for 30 days, but what they thought was going to take 30 days actually took one. And so they went to Daniel on day one, and they were not arriving for group prayer. They were not having any of it. But what they did find was Daniel praying, just as he had always done. And when they discovered that, they went back to the king, and they said this. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And so right then the king knew he'd been deceived. His advisor had set him up because he respected Daniel. He needed Daniel. He loved Daniel. He wanted Daniel in that position, and he knew in that moment he had been duped. And so he was in this position where he had to decide between his political empower and his political um, platform or following the kingdom and the truth of God. 
And so he became greatly troubled because he liked Daniel, and he did everything he could. He kept trying to figure out, how can I make this happen? How can I save Daniel? But because of the way that things went back then, once he said it, there was no veto power. There was nobody to overrule him. Once it was said, it was said. Once it was written, it was written, and there was nothing that he could do. And so this is what happened next. After he gave the edict to throw Daniel into the lion's den, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty." So the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And so what about you? Where have you like followed the wall? Like you've done all the right things. And maybe especially when it comes to God, like you followed him, you trust him. You're doing what you think he wants you to do. But yet you found yourself in a situation that didn't feel completely hopeful or prosperous. Somehow the tables were flipped on you and you found yourself in a lion's den. Because up until that moment, up until the time when God shut the mouths of the lions, everything that God had said through the prophet Jeremiah to Daniel seemed very much untrue. Because a lion's den does not sound much like a hope and a future, does it? But yet we look at Daniel in these moments and he just doesn't seem to be rattled. We don't see any indication that Daniel just begins to fall apart. How was it that when everyone and everything seemed to be against Daniel, he was at peace? And I think it was because Daniel understood his relationship with God. I don't know what Daniel was thinking when he spent that night in that horrible Airbnb of a lion's den. But what was his ominous threat? What was an ominous threat against him suddenly became his pet. And I don't know when he watched those, the angel shut the mouths of the lion. I don't know if we got to see, he got to visibly see that or not. But he was so comfortable. He wasn't terrified through the night that maybe he was able just to put his head on a lion as a pillow. Daniel was the original pillow pet, that lion was. That's where it all began. I don't know. I don't know what that was like for Daniel through that night in the lion's den. But one thing that we know is like the king was miserable in those moments. The king was miserable through the night. But Daniel was experiencing a miracle. And the highest authority on the earth at that moment, his hands was tied and his mind was troubled. But yet we see Daniel at peace. And how do we get there? How do we get there in our circumstances? I believe that Daniel's faith and his trust in God was not circumvented by his circumstances. And it was because Daniel made up his mind a long time ago to trust God no matter what. 
Because this was not Daniel's first threat, by the way. Like, we're looking at Daniel a little bit later in his life. But this was not unlike Daniel earlier on in his life either. Daniel had had threats against him, not to this intensity, but it had happened before. And something that we see happen throughout Daniel's life is what I believe gave him the courage and the stability to be able to maintain being in a lion's den. And it's something that we can learn from Daniel and put into our lives too. And we get a glimpse of it. We're going to go back to the scripture and look at this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. And I think that gives us a glimpse into Daniel's life because what Daniel did was he practiced what I'm going to call the presence of God. He practiced this routine relationship with God where he heard from God, the presence of God. Because when Daniel went to to his room and he opened the doors, he wasn't praying in open defiance to the king. What he was doing was praying in obedience to the promise that God had given him. His eyes were on Jerusalem. His eyes were focused on the promise that God had set and spoken to the prophet Jeremiah a long time ago. It was what was pulling him through. He wasn't trying to be defiant. Because what we don't see in in what Daniel do is he, he didn't protest. He didn't go to other people around him and say, like, we need to overtake this. This is wrong. He didn't blame, and it surely was wrong. He was being set up. But he didn't use the powers that he had and the platform that he had because he was empowered to do it. He didn't go make a case in front of the king. He didn't demand his voice to be heard. He didn't take to threads or to Twitter or whatever was new in the moment. He didn't go there first to be divisive and to try to get more followers on his side. What we see Daniel doing is going to his God, and he simply gave thanks and praised. Because in in those moments, I believe that that allowed Daniel to focus on the sovereignty of God, the bigger picture. Because what Daniel was doing was trusting in the I know. What Daniel wasn't doing was putting himself in control of who was going to dictate the hope in the future. Daniel didn't know the king wasn't in control of the hope in the future. His enemies was not in control of the hope in the future. It was God knew. God trusted the I know even when he did not know. And so Daniel never fought or focused on his enemies. What he did is he just followed God. And Daniel's obedience to God was not dependent on the outcomes, but it was the belief that God could be trusted no matter what. Trusting the I know, trusting God, even when we don't know. And even when things aren't going the way that we think they should go. And in those moments of this practicing the presence of God, this praying to God, this spending time with God, God began to transform Daniel's thinking. And I believe in those moments his perspective was able to change and his purpose changed in those moments. He saw a bigger picture. Now, unfortunately, we all don't get to start out on this faith journey as legends. And neither did Daniel. Neither did anybody that we're talking about through this series. You just don't start out as a legend. You got to start somewhere. And what we, where we often start is we learn about God. We get information about God, which is a fabulous place to start. We all got to start there. 
We want to know about God. Matter of fact, if you have children with us today in our family ministries, they are learning information about God. They are taking something in about God. And our hope and our prayer is that through time that begins to transform their thinking. That begins to transform them when they are put in challenging circumstances. They know the one that knows. They have this living inside them. And hopefully every time you come here with us, you are learning something new about God. A Bible app. When you read your Bible, the scripture, you are taking in information about God. But the risk we take is that we just stop there. We just stop with this information about God and we don't do anything with it. And our challenge is, as believers, is we have to move from information about God to being transformed by God. And what does that mean? I think when we just stick at this information place, which is not a bad place to be because there's a lot to know about God, wonderful things to know, mysterious things to know. But when we just stick there in that informational phase about God, we just miss out on the deeper things about what God is trying to tell us about him and also about ourselves. Because so many of us live like the king. We just take in this information and we don't do anything with it. We don't dig deeper down to find the truth of it. If it's true, if it's not true. And what does that mean? What am I supposed to do with it? Because imagine if the king would have went to his most trusted advisor, Daniel. Daniel, what do you think about this edict? In that moment, Daniel would have been able to shed some truth and some light into this situation that would have saved the king a lot of misery. But yet he stayed at this information phase about what he knew and didn't dig deeper into it. It's interesting, we live in an information age. We can find out so much about God. It's just right at our fingertips. Anything we wanted to know. In an instant, we can find it. We live in an information age. But yet if I asked you or if I asked even others that not, are not even believers, we would probably say we live in a godless age. And I think that's because we're taking in all of this information, but we're not allowing it to transform our lives, transform who we are. And when we do that, especially as believers, when we take all this information about God and we just learn and we just keep it to ourselves and we don't do anything with it, it just becomes religion. And some of Jesus' harshest words were to those that knew the most. And so how do we transform ourselves? How do we take what we're learning about God and make it relevant, make a change in ourselves? Because changing that, the transformation means something changes within you. You don't stay the same. And so how do we do that? How do we transform our lives? And I think there's a couple of ways. One of them that we see Daniel practice is just through this routine relationship that he had with God. It was practicing the presence of God. Because sometimes I think we just get, we get deceived into thinking that these rituals that we perform for God is the way to God. And it really isn't. And it's easy to get there. And we, some rituals are good. They have good intentions. But sometimes when we find ourselves just doing these rituals and performing these rituals without meeting and without relationship, it just becomes religion which is empty and void, which is what Jesus came to save us from. So how do you know you're practicing a ritual? Because sometimes the rituals start out with good meaning. I think usually when you're in this ritual, when you find yourself, I'm just doing this for ritual, is it starts out like, I have to. I have to do this. I have to go to church or my mom is going to be mad. Now, for some of you, I would say just don't, don't let mama be mad. Just do the ritual. Keep mama happy. 
But some of the things that we do are rituals. I, I just remember like being told as a good Christian, you should just read the whole Bible, right? Because it's, it's God's word. Just read the whole thing. I remember reading the whole thing, just wanting to be, do the right thing. Honestly, just I have to tell you, like, it was horrible. Like, reading the whole Bible was confusing, and I don't know if I even knew more about God when I did it because I was just trying to get through it. That's a ritual. But when we take those rituals and we come at God with, through a relationship, wanting to hear from God and Him from us, that's where things begin to be transformed. And we could look at Daniel and we could say, well, Daniel prayed three times a day. It sounds very ritualistic to me. But yet when we look at the life of Daniel, we know it was so much more than that. And I believe that Daniel prayed three times a day because when we look at Daniel's life and we see the amount of leadership responsibility that was on him, the weight that he was carrying, the situation and the culture that he was in that was opposed against him every single second, he needed to pray three times a day. When we are in relationship with God, the the have to changes from I need to. I need to pray three times a day. I need to read my Bible three times a day because I need to hear from God. And simply that transformation, if we want to put it simple, is talking to God and and hearing from from God. It's this rhythm of relationship that we have with him. It's practicing the presence of God. And Paul describes this in the New Testament. We get to see it in Romans. And he says it like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Kind of echoes a little bit about what you heard the prophet Jeremiah say, doesn't it? When we don't adopt the patterns of the world, we begin to receive information from God. We get privy to what God is doing in the world through us and in the world around us, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's when we talk to God and we hear from God is when that begins to happen. And talking to God is just talking to God. We don't have to come to him with ritualistic prayers. We can be honest. It's coming to him in confession. It's coming to him in praise. However you want to talk to God. And the beautiful thing about this is there's no, like, three-step process. It would be easier if it was, but we just turn it into a ritual. We do, that's what we do. The beautiful thing about God is that he's designed us all differently. And he intends to communicate with you in how he designed you. Some of you can get out in nature and you feel one with God. That's how he created you. That's talking and hearing from God. It's going to be different ways. But hearing from God is looking at his word. It's being around other people believers and tossing it around, wrestling around with the things that we've heard. What do you think about that? And how do I apply it to my life? It's just hearing from God. And when we begin to do that, how do you know you're transformed? When we begin to do that, I feel like you're going to see transformation in your life. You should see transformation in your life. And this is what it might look like. One, our perspective is going to change. We begin to see a bigger picture. We begin to see a bigger picture of our situation. And actually, the obstacles that are in front of us, when we begin to see God's viewpoint on it, put God's lens on it and hear from him, they actually become opportunities. We actually get to say to God, God, this looks like a mess, but what are you going to do with it? How are you going to pull the good out of it? Our obstacles then become our opportunities. And the next thing that begins to change when we transform, we begin to transform, is our thinking. We begin to think through the promises and not our problems. 
Because God wants to speak into whatever you're going through. He is not a distant God. He is not a God that you're trying to appease. He is a God that wants to walk with you. And so we begin to look and filter everything that we're going through through God's promises. What does he say about it? And the interesting thing with Daniel and that Daniel got, and I think he wants us to do, once God wants us to do through all of us, is that he wants us to give us some spiritual intelligence. Because what Daniel had was some discernment. And he only got that through spending time with God. When Daniel walked into a situation, much like the dreams that the king had, nobody could tell them what that meant except Daniel because he had spiritual intelligence. He had spiritual discernment. He didn't get it on his own. And that was one thing he would be the first to tell you. He says, that doesn't come from me. It comes from God. And so what, is, what spiritual intelligence is God trying to bring into your situation that you're not going to know if you don't spend time with him? Like true, genuine time with him. The other thing is our reactions change. We are no longer controlled by our emotions. And that's a tough one. Because how often do we just want to spout off in anger or blame? Daniel could. He could have blamed anybody. He didn't even blame the king. After it was over, you did this to me, but God saved me. He didn't even do that. He just said, king, live forever. What gave him that attitude? It was because he was no longer controlled by his emotions. Jealousy didn't control him. When we get to spend time with God, we get, there's an exchange that happens. This transformation is an exchange. God, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling jealous about this. And God begins to speak into it. And we don't carry that anymore. And maybe that takes time. It's a process. It's not a one and done thing. Maybe we have to go to God like Daniel did three times a day to get there. But our perspective changes. Our thinking changes. Our reactions change. We see this when Jesus comes on the scene, say it well too. He said, abide in me and I will abide in you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Because what's happening in these moments, these transformational moments, when we are spending time with God is a miracle. He is changing us. He is transforming us. It is just so much a miracle if we were sitting in that lion's den because that anger and that jealousy and the things that you are facing against is your lion's den. And God is there to transform you in those moments. And it's just a, as much of a miracle. Because unfortunately for us, we're not going to wake up one day and we're going to have legendary faith. We're not going to wake up one day and we're going to be instantly, instantly mature. We got to work at it. We got to put some effort into it. And we only got this life to do it. This is it. We don't get to work on our faith later. This is the time we get to work on our, on our faith. But sometimes if you're going to decide to take, move from this information area that we want to live in and maybe are more comfortable in, and if we're going to decide to move to this transformation stage, I'll just be honest, we're going to face some opposition. But the reality is in this life, we're going to face opposition anyway. Life is coming at you hard. Wouldn't you want to face it with the power of God? Why not face it with the power of God? And so what do you think by following God, by being obedient to God, by establishing these routine and relationships with God, what do you think you're going to give up? Maybe it's some time. Or maybe it's some social circles. I don't know. Maybe you feel like just because you've chosen to follow God, like you're missing out on something. But the promises of Scripture and the promises of God tell us whatever we give up, whatever we suffer through, whatever we go through on this earth, just doesn't even compare to the, what He's going to give us later, what He's got for us later, because He sees it. It's just going to pale in comparison. 
So what edict has been spoken over you? What something, situation, or words have been spoken over you that feel hopeless? What decree has been spoken over your life that you feel is no way out, that feels unchangeable? Maybe it's an illness. Maybe you've heard the words, I'm sorry, we don't know how else to help you. We see that on our prayer page. We know it's happening. Or maybe it's your family's just falling apart. Or maybe you've heard the words, I don't love you anymore. Or you're a great employee, but we're just going to have to let you go. And those words carry a lot of weight. Those words feel like an edict that has been spoken over you. Something hopeless, something not changeable. But if you can't change it, and God has allowed it, then let let him work his purpose out in it. Because he wants to put his power into your situation. He wants to put his purpose into your situation. Because the edict against Daniel that was designed by his enemies thought that it would lead to Daniel taking advantage of. They thought that they had him. But actually what happened was God used that to advance his kingdom. And maybe that's what God is trying to do through you. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a heavenly later thing and the sweet by and by thing. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we want to look at it as the reversal of everything gone wrong. And there's a lot gone wrong. And God is trying to bring his kingdom into the world right now. Yes, some things we are going to have to wait for heaven for. Some things are going to be worth waiting for. But there's a lot of what God wants to do through the transformation process in each one of us that brings his kingdom into the here and into the now, the reversal of everything gone wrong. And so what is that in your life? Because what if our everyday life looked like we were bringing the presence of God into it? What if the boardroom looked like that? Or the classroom looked like that? The grocery store checkout line or even your living room looked like that? that we were bringing the presence of God into it because we had allowed God to transform our thinking and transform our lives. Because we can isolate ourselves with information about God and stay comfortable with each other and stay like in a little holy huddle, just learning more and more about God. Or we can just assimilate into the culture and just look like everybody else. But really, we don't make a difference at all. Or we can choose to be transformed by the power of God, by our routine relationship with him, by practicing his presence, and we can bring the kingdom of God into it. And maybe whatever situation you're going through, when you're allowing God to transform your thinking in it and allow yourself to trust that I know even when you don't know, maybe that's the glimmer of hope that somebody else needs. Because the story doesn't stop with Daniel just being pulled out of the lion's den. I want us to go back to scripture and look at this. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And you may think that that's something that King David wrote in Psalms, like when he was praising God. Or maybe Daniel wrote it when he got up from the lion's den. Actually, this was written by the king. This was an edict that went out to all the nation, to all of it, saying that Daniel's God is the living God. He is holy, he is set apart. And not long after this, the Israelites were freed 
And it started here. It started with the life of Daniel. It started with King Darius being able to recognize the holy God living in Daniel. And so what is that for you? I want us to read it one more time because I want us to close just doing exactly what Daniel did. He prayed and he praised. But when we read it one more time, when we get to the end, I want you to take Daniel out and I want you to put your name in. And I want you to go and you look at the power of, and I want you to put that in the line. I want you to take lions out and put whatever you're going through in that line, whatever you're dealing with, whatever seems hopeless, whatever you feel like you need the power of God to transform. I want you to insert it there. And when we go through it again, feel free to say it out loud with me. That would be great. If you wanna say it quietly, that's fine too. But we're gonna run through it one more time with you putting your name in that place. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. He has rescued you from the power of what? Let's pray. Jesus, you know where we need you to transform our situations and our life. And so God, right now, we just praise you as the living God. There is none other. There was no one like you. Forgive us when our affections have turned to lesser things. God, in these moments, we just praise you and lift you high as the only God. God, you know what each person is going through, and I ask for your power in their life and in their situation that you would change their perspective and their thinking and that you would begin to show them what you're doing in it. We trust you, God. We trust you when we don't know, and we thank you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen.